God, this earth is yours and everything in it. And we are your people. And we want to surrender to you. And we want to follow you. God, we ask that you would give us wisdom. We ask that your Holy Spirit would lead us. We ask that you would open your word to us. And now that as I speak, Father, that you would be convicting and stirring within each of us that we would better understand how to be your people and how to build your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are at the final Sunday of June, which in our kind of planning meetings over the course of this year, uh, means that this is the final sermon in our Restore Here as in Heaven year-long arc, where we have been exploring the kingdom of God, specifically through the lens of the book of Matthew. Okay? Um, and this particular series that we have been in is called Refocus. If you forget that, look behind me. Okay, you'll probably see a couple of different ways to remember that. Okay? Um, and Kevin and Jim so far have taken us through Matthew 24 and 25, which is the teaching that Jesus gives on the Mount of Olives to his disciples, referred to as the Olivet Discourse. And it's this last time that Matthew records of him teaching his disciples before the events of Holy Week. Right? So Jesus is, knows that he is about to leave, and he gives them this teaching on what they can expect before the Son of Man comes again a second time. And the teaching has been preserved for us in the book of Matthew, Matthew 24 and 25. And we have been encouraged by both Jim and by Kevin not to look at these two chapters as trying to help us get a thumbtack out so we can put it on the calendar to see the exact day and the exact time. We're not intended to look at these texts as clues that are going to help us see exactly when the Son of Man is going to return, but rather to help us understand how can we be faithful people of God while we wait. Matthew 24, Jesus paints some pretty scary pictures of what the world is going to be like, but we can remember our God is powerful, our God is mighty to save, our God cares for us. Matthew 25 is three different stories that Jesus gives, these parables for how we can understand more of how we are supposed to live. And the parable that we're looking at today is one story, and it's got a few possible titles. In fact, I renamed my sermon The Parable of the Stuff, because I don't want to give you too much direction in terms of the title that you may assign to it. The way that we think about the parable will depend on which facet of the illustration that we see ourselves in. But however we see it, however we hear it, we have a responsibility to seek its meaning and its implications for how we live today, for how we wait for Jesus' return. You see, the kingdom of God is about the master's business. His presence, his power, his love, his name, his glory. His kingdom is advancing, it's growing, and it's expanding. Our lives, our homes, our hearts, our minds, our worldview, these are meaningful territories and places where the kingdom grows and extends. As I have been praying for our church, uh, for many of you as individuals and praying for our entire church community, I've been coming back to the same prayer. God, make us hungry. God, help us to want more than we have. Help us to desire you more. Put within us the right kind of righteous hunger that pushes us past where we're comfortable, that pushes us beyond the things we already have, 
that we would experience the presence and power of God and increase the mouse, that we would measurably see him move and experience his happiness, his delight, and his pleasure. And that as we experience that, as we get that taste, that it would give us hunger for more. And the reason for this prayer is that I think that as the people of God, we approach him more out of obligation than we do out of anticipation. That we move through life with a sense of what we should do because it's safe, because it's what we've already done or what we already had, but we aren't experiencing renewal and increase like we should. Frankly, we aren't hungry, and we aren't that interested in growing. And I, I say that to you not to condemn you as being separate from that. I'm equally guilty. I'm convicted as I say that and tell you that this is the way I have been compelled to pray. That's my prayer for us, that we would be hungry. And so, God, these things that I've spoken now, Father, I pray that you would stir in us. God, I pray that you would increase our hunger. I pray that you would give us a desire to hear from you now. I pray that you would give us a desire to take these things that we hear into the world around us, that your goodness, your presence, and your spirit would empower us as we go, that we would become more consumed with a desire for your presence, that we would be about the things that you love and the things that you care about, that we would look to uh, invest what you have given to us and placed within us and steward it well and build your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Like I said before, in Matthew 25, there are three stories that Jesus tells, and we're going to focus on the middle one. Uh, and so it starts in Matthew 25 at verse 14. So in whatever Bible apparatus you have, electronic or hard copy or what have you, feel free to turn there with me. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To the one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man. Harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed... So I was afraid, and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown, and I gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, 
Even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Parables work really well uh, for the same reason that they can be hard to understand. Because they're imagery, they're, they're often metaphorical, there's more to see and hear than we often take at face values. Face values? Face value, singular, good. These aren't recipes, okay? There's not sort of step-by-step lead you to understanding so you can end up with the perfect understanding. That's not what the parable is doing. The parable is looking to give us a picture that we can look at to be able to wrestle with it, to pursue understanding it so that we can get it more deeply in a more helpful way. And as we come to reflect on this particular parable today, I want to encourage you to hear it and think which title best describes the way that you receive this story. Assuming that we want to wait as best we can in the most faithful and God-honoring way that we can, I'm going to suggest a few titles for you. And if you come up with your own, I'm happy to hear it later, but I've got three that I'm going to go with for now. The first title is The Parable of the Master's Gold. In this story, the master gives generously, but not equally, to each servant. He expects each servant to get a return on their investment. And when I come to this parable, I'm not sure if it's just the way that my mind works or whatever, but I look at it and I go, how unfair that they don't all get the same amount of money. I'm not sure if it's my political views or my sense of how society should work or what have you, but I wonder why they don't get it equally. If you are like me or that distribution feels weird for you, here's what I want to remind you of. He's not giving them gold. He's not giving it to them to say, now it's yours. He's entrusting it to them. It's always the master's gold. He says, here, take this. It's mine. Take care of it. Care about it and care for it. I want you to think about what goes through your mind when we sing this song, 10,000 Reasons. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Oh, my soul, worship his holy name. The verses compel us to think about and praise God for the reasons that we have to be thankful for his goodness to us. What are those things that you think of when you sing that song? When we sing, great is thy faithfulness, what goes on in the back of your mind? What are the examples of God's faithfulness in your life, the things that he has given to you? What are the things in your life you know he's given you? Is it relationships? Is it family? Is it some asset? Is it a skill? Is it an ability or a passion? Well, how can you make more of it? You can treat it like it belongs to the master. You can use it in ways that line up with what he loves. So yesterday, early afternoon, was driving in the car, took Travis to baseball, got to the field and realized um, that being, as a dad, I probably should have double-checked that my seven-year-old or eight-year-old thought to put his baseball glove in his bag. Didn't. Uh, So I got to go home and get his baseball glove with my five-year-old while the seven-year-old stayed at the field to play. So as we're driving down the street, I was a little frustrated. I was a bit bugged heading home to pick up this baseball glove that my son should have known to bring. Anyways, my youngest, Trenton, out of nowhere, says to me, Dad, do you think that we could go to McKinney Park? Okay, well, when do you want to go? He goes, I want to go with my class. Okay, is your class going? Yep, they're going on Tuesday, and I really want you to come, because they don't know you. And I'm not sure if I was just in sermon prep mode or what's going on, but I was like, wow, five minutes of my sermon just wrote itself. He loves his father. 
And his approach is, I don't want to keep our relationship to just me. I want to take it out to my whole class. I want to bring the father with me to the park. Now, God's a way better father to you than I will ever be to Trenton. I realize that. But I was so proud of the fact that that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to take me with him to his friends. That's kingdom living. But you see what I'm saying. Take me out. Put God in the place. Yes, you, okay, don't, don't take me with you. Take the presence of God with you. Take the goodness and the blessing and prosperity of God with you wherever you go. And maybe it's using these things that he's given you to grow and increase his business. Share what he has given you with people. If he's given you opportunities, if he's given you skills and passions, do them well with excellence. Invite the Spirit of God to empower you, to fill you as you use it, and the master's gold will grow. If you hear this and think about your life and quickly see the gold he has given you, this is the parable of the master's gold. Another title I want to suggest for you is the parable of the faithful servants. Maybe this story, as you hear it, seems to be about the two servants who are commended because of their success in stewarding what God gave them. Now, the way that they're commended by the master when they come to meet with him and settle up accounts is quite famous. You often hear this statement at a believer's funeral, well done, good and faithful servant. But you rarely hear the rest of it, which I think is equally, if not more awesome. It's come and share in your master's happiness. Sharing in someone's happiness to truly celebrate alongside somebody, you have to think the same things are important. You have to love the same things that they do. When the master invites the servants into his business, come and be my partner, prosper with me, celebrate with me. I had a time in my life in my early 20s when I wasn't sure what was going on. I didn't know what next steps were going to be. I um, didn't know vocation, didn't know education-wise, wasn't sure what was happening. I was in limbo, living in an apartment, behind on my rent, no job, no prospects. Not an awesome time. One day, I came across a job ad in the Montreal Gazette, and I got the job. It was a customer service representative for a custom office furniture manufacturer. Okay? After about two and a half months of this job, uh, it, was, it was right around this time of year, actually, and a friend of mine from Pioneer called me and said, listen, Jeff, really want you to come to work at camp this summer. And I should have said no, right? I have a job, like I'm here, I'm set, I gotta stay here. Um, but it was really appealing and really intriguing, and there was something in me that made me really want to do it. And so I said, you know what? I can't, I can't say no right away, but let me talk to my boss, and if there's a way that he can give me the summer off, then I'll come. So I went to my boss, and I said to him, okay, Mr. Hassan, I want the summer off, and if you're willing to give that to me, I will work for you easy for the next two years. It sounded very Old Testament kind of deal to me. I thought it was a very righteous thing to do. I said, I will give you this amount of time if you give me the summer off. He said, let me think about it. And at the end of the next day, he called me into his office, and he said, listen, Jeff, we're coming to the end of your probation, um, and I'm really disappointed that you would even ask for the summer off. I really need somebody in your role who loves office furniture. <laughs> I knew at that moment we were on very different pages bookcases, desks, drawer slides. I can only get so excited about that. Okay. But he wanted that to be my life and my passion and pay me $12 an hour for that. I wasn't going to get there. 
I didn't want the same things that the master, the owner of the company, wanted. I was not about his business. I couldn't enter in to share in his joy and his happiness. I wasn't going to get there. But the servants that are faithful and are successful because they're committed to the same things that the master is. They loved what he loved, so they were able to enter in. You can see it by how they acted and what they did. Pretty clear parallel, I think, for us today as well. If we want to enter into the master's happiness, we have to love the same things that they do or that he does. If that isn't an intuitive or easy thing for you to think about, how do I get there? I want to take you to Psalm 37.4. Does anybody know it offhand? It goes, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. When I first heard that verse, I liked the second part a lot. The idea of getting the desires of my heart. I had the, the, the list, the itemized list with the check boxes beside it. I could not wait to figure out how to delight myself in the Lord so I could get all of these things. So my inventory could increase with whatever I wanted. What I've learned over time as I have followed Jesus, as I have grown and matured, is that delighting yourself in the Lord doesn't get you what you want. It shapes what you want. When we learn to worship, when we learn to give God the place in our lives that he needs, what we want and what we love changes. If we want to be faithful servants, we have to learn what it means to delight ourselves in the master. We have to learn to love the same things that he does. And by his spirit, we're able. Maybe this is the parable of the faithful servants for you. Or could it be that this is the parable of the buried gold? The third servant contrasts the faithful servants not because of his approach to investing, you can call it that, but because of his reason for it. He buried it in the ground. He took the master's gold. Now, the measure, the amount of gold they were given is a talent. Okay, that's a unit of measure. And it's worth the equivalent of a laborer's annual salary. Okay, so some really rough calculations. If you made 15 bucks an hour, worked 40 hours a week for a whole year, you'd have about $30,000. Okay, so this guy took $30,000 and buried it in the ground. The master's livid, takes his gold back, gives it to the guy who had $300,000, and then throws the servant out. It seems so harsh, but that judgment and exclusion is part of each of the parables that describe the coming of the kingdom of God. Not everyone's going to be in. That's hard, but it helps me to remember what the parables describe, the joy, uh, the joy of and the intention of the master to include to welcome, his invitation to participate with him. And that any exclusion happens because of the behavior or the attitude of those who are excluded. And the servant says, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. When I read that, I was trying to figure out, is he calling God a hard man? And I think this is one of the elements of parable where we have to understand not every little detail is going to line up sort of perfectly with, uh, I don't know, maybe this parable isn't about telling us the nature of God and how God does business, okay? But maybe this is trying to say, understand what the master wants and act accordingly. So I don't think this is saying God is a hard man acting in these ways. I don't think that's what we're going for here. Um, 
But I thought of, as I read that, harvesting where you haven't sown. The first thing that came to my mind, and I'm not sure I'm allowed to say this in a sermon illustration, but I thought of a beer commercial, the, uh, the Sleeman Railside Ale, right? Where they're talking about the train going down the track and the hops spill over and then they grow. And then they're saying, you know what? We can use those plants even though we didn't, and we'll make the beer out of that. And they sell it. They are, that company was like, we can make more money. Let's do it this way. That's what the master is about in this story. Okay? Gather up the seeds, harvest where you didn't plant seed, just do everything you can, and we'll turn, it, we'll turn a profit out of it. That's the kind of master that he is. And the servant was afraid. He went out and he hid the gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. And he returns the $30,000 intact a year later, or however long later. And the master says to him, you know that what I care about is profit, that my business and my bottom line are the most important things to me. Now, if you had taken the 30000 and put it in a GIC, you would have generated at least 2% over this past year. These numbers are all thank you to Jamie Holbrook, just saying. Okay. <laughs> and you could have given me $600 a year later, but you don't want any part of the success of my business. You were happy to take what I gave you, but I'm actually worse off now. I have less than I gave you a year ago. The servant used fear as an excuse. The servant was afraid and the servant was lazy, but the master's business was not something that the servant cared about. And too quickly, we see this story at play in our lives. There's a sacrifice we can't bring ourselves to make. There's a habit or a behavior we can't change, a risk we won't take because the effort would be too much. The change wouldn't be worth it for us, or we just don't want to, because we care more about our own business than we do about the master's. Thinking of the gold that God gives us, his presence, his power, his kingdom, his life, if we bury it and hide it, hoping that all will be good when the master returns, when we're called to answer to him, saying, I accepted the gold, but that's where it stayed. It never grew, I never touched it again. Can we really think of ourselves as being the master's servants? Maybe for you, this is the parable of the buried gold. It's not too late to accept the gold. This is good news. You can get to stewarding. The master has not yet returned. There's time. We can be faithful. We wait. We watch. We anticipate. We remind one another as we come here to worship that our father and our father's business is worth it. But the struggle is real. Hunger for the things of God, the challenge to love what he loves, to see what he sees as most important. This is part of the call in our lives to be citizens of God's kingdom. It's not a democracy where we get a vote in how things should be, but we are invited to participate, to share in the joy of our master. Confess. Repent, submit to his rule and his reign. So whether you see this as the parable of the bags of gold, that you need to understand that the master has given you gold out of his abundance, maybe a talent, a relationship, an opportunity, a passion, a vision, and he's calling you to see it as his gold and to steward it, or whether you see this as the parable of the faithful servants and realize that you need to actively grow this gift for the sake of the kingdom, or if you hear this, as the parable of the buried gold, and you see your need to want more. Jesus calls us to live faithfully while we wait. Invest your gold well. 
Each of the parables in Matthew 25 talk about the master's return. Looking forward to the king returning is an important part of kingdom living. But the kingdom is here. For so many of us, the idea of the master's return makes us ask scary what-if questions. What if we don't make it? What if we're not in? What if my neighbor isn't in? What ah? And this idea of exclusion can be really scary. The story does indeed point to harsh and dire consequences for the unfaithful servant. But the story points also to the reward and the beauty of faithfulness. Come and enter into your master's happiness, his joy. Partner with him. He is with you. He is for you. And in one of my last kind of run-throughs getting ready for this morning, as I started to think about those implications, those scary what-if questions about your neighbors, maybe those neighbors are gold God has given you, that you need to steward, that you need to invest in. What is God bringing to your mind? What is God putting on your heart? These are things he has given you to hunger for more in those situations. Pray, ask the master to help you. May we be more about our father's business. What you have is his, generously given for you to steward, to care for, and to point to his glory and his goodness. Let's pray. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for being generous. We thank you for being faithful. And we thank you that we can trust in the fact that you will return. Father, we thank you for your spirit who leads us, who empowers us, who guides us. God, convict us. Show us those places and show us those ways where we are hoarding, where we are burying gold. Would you give us courage? Would you give us conviction? Would you give us compassion? In Jesus' name, amen.